Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. This is The Drive with Larry Hardesty. No yelling on the bus. Oh, we were yelling. We were screaming. And we were dancing. It's been a heck of a ride. Welcome to The Drive on 98.7 ESPN. Larry Hardesty, along with Joel and Giselle, talking to you about the world of sports. Big win for the Knicks. I, they hit three throws. I can't believe it. I'm watching. I'm waiting. And yet, look, I understand late in the game, R.J. Barrett missed a couple. But for the most point, for the most part of that game, the Knicks were fabulous from the free throw line. We'll talk Knicks in a minute. The judge has made his first ruling as head coach of the Giants. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. The guys are rolling their eyes up in their head. Hopefully it won't stick. Patrick Graham is leaving his role as the Miami Dolphins defensive coordinator to take the same job as the New York Giants. Yes, he and Judge work together in New England. Yes, he and Judge have a good feeling about each other. Yes, he's got his work cut out for him (laughs) because he's got some young guys that need some quick coaching and have to be coached up a lot. We'll talk about that inside this edition of The Drive. Oh, by the way, there was football today. And first of all, after getting over the shock of yesterday, after getting over what the heck happened, how did Tennessee, whom in a conversation I had with texting back and forth with Fly Ty, who he says reminds him, this Tennessee team kind of reminds him, not quarterback-wise, of a 0-9-10 Jets team, strong defense, powerful running game, although the Jets kind of did it with running back by committee in a sense because it was Thomas Jones and then it was LaDainian Tomlinson and then it was Sean Green. So it was kind of a running back by committee. But obviously Derrick Henry is the man and he is taking the load for this Tennessee Titans team. But yeah, you could see the similarities. So yesterday they just come out and they punched Baltimore in the mouth and Baltimore took the standing eight and then they were knocked down and couldn't get back up. As a team, not just Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I know oh, Lamar can't do it. Lamar's just a regular season player. See what happens. Oh, I thought he could throw. Enough. It wasn't just him. Did he have the greatest game? No. Did they lose all because of him? No. Give Tennessee credit. They got out quick. They got out fast. And they recovered. And they were phenomenal yesterday. And so today when I'm looking at Houston rolling into Kansas City and putting up a quick 24. I'm like, and I tweeted, am I watching the Tennessee-Baltimore game again? What's going on here? Well, faster than Joel could hear from Giselle, who says they're going to score 35 points, they score 28. And they roll. And that's the way you respond. Give Kansas City credit. Give... uh Patrick Mahomes credit, give Travis Kelsey, who had a phenomenal game playing injured, get him out. He still wants to come back. You can't, you can't keep me out of this game, coach. And Andy Reid is headed back to the championship game. Will he get to the Super Bowl this time? We'll find out. This is an interesting matchup next week as Tennessee's got to bring their ground game and their tough defense into Kansas City for a very, very potent offense that put up a ton of points today. A ton of points. Against a very, very game Houston Texans team. And 
I know a lot of people are going to say, so what was the deal with that fake punt, huh? Because things turned on that fake punt, really did. But you know what? You could sense that that game was going to turn a little bit even more because you just had the sense that Kansas City would find a way to do some things, not score the way they did. I didn't expect them to score like that. But you just had a sense that Kansas City wasn't going to go quietly. Were they stunned? Yes. But they, at least they moved the football a little bit. In the other doubleheader game in the NFC Divisional Series, we've got the Packers leading Seattle 7-0 as Seattle takes the field right now. 1-800-919-3776. Let's talk about the New York Knicks, who today performed and played very well. And there was a, 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 a person on Twitter. Uh, where, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Pete Love 124 says, okay, so I can accept, so I accept that the Knicks aren't going anywhere, but I tell you, they look better under Mike Miller. And when they're healthy, they look like a team you can build on. And I agree with Pedo Love 124, 100%. They do look better. They look, and, and of course they need players. We got that. But at least what you're looking at is, except for maybe a handful of games where they were totally outmatched. They're playing the Lakers. They don't have Julius Randle. They don't have Marcus Morris. They're not winning, okay? And they're not going to look pretty. So you understand that. But in games where they have most of their crew, you can see that they're at least competitive. And I know that's a low bar. Larry, that competitive? Like, this is the NBA. They should be competitive. But when you look and you understand what they have and you've seen what they have and you and you look at the struggles this team has and the fundamentals seem to have lost them, already Mike Miller has got the team shooting free throws better. It took him a while, but already they're starting to shoot free throws better. Look at the last couple of weeks on how this team has shot. And there's been maybe one or two instances where they looked awful, but they are getting better. And so there's things that you see that – show you and give you some hope. Now, does this mean that there's nothing else to be done with the team? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. Do they still need a point guard? Yes. Do they still need some some help up front? Yes. Do they still need some three-point shooters? Absolutely. I'm not sitting here telling you they're a fixed team. We don't have to do anything. Mike Miller's the guy and we can roll forward. I'm not saying that. But what I do agree with is this is a Nick team that is at least you get the idea of when they come into the games, they've got a game plan. They know what they're doing. They're prepared. At least they look that way. At least. And there were times earlier in the season when, quite frankly, they did not look like they were prepared. Do they still have trouble defending the three? Yes, they do, and they always will because these guys just don't get it sometimes. <laughs> All right? Sometimes you coach and you coach and you coach, and they just don't understand. So, yeah, they still have trouble defending the three. But the one, the things they do well, crash the offensive boards, try to pass the ball and have movement. Do they get stagnant sometimes? Yes, but all teams do. So at least, even though they ended the five-game losing streak and their record is not close to what you want it to be, at least when you see them play certain teams, they look they look better. They look better. They look as though 
like Peter Love124 said, you can build on this team. And one of the reasons you feel so confident is the play of R.J. Barrett, who continues to improve, who you see wears his emotions on his sleeve. You can see his frustration when he missed those free throws late. You can see his his anger. This kid wants to win. This is not a kid who's accepting losing. And I'm not saying other players do, but I'm just saying you can see it. Some players don't wear it. He wears his emotion. You can see he's frustrated. You can see he's angry. You can see it. And that's what you love. You want, as a fan, you want your players to have that emotion. Okay? That you have. You want them to feel invested. Yeah, we know it's a business for them. Yeah, we know they get paid. Yeah, we understand that. But still, as competitors, as guys who fought hard to reach their goal of playing among the best in the world, that's what you want to see in your guys. And especially a young player who has gone through more losing than he's ever experienced in his life to still have that passion and understanding that I don't want to accept this like this. I want to play and I want to win some games and I'm doing what I'm trying to do. And you heard him in the post game with Pat O'Keefe saying that, you know, I'm working on my free throws at night after games in the gym. And you can see the difference. You can see his work ethic. And that's what you want to see in your young players. That's what, when we talk about Mitchell Robinson and how good he can be, that's what you want to see with him. You want him to watch video. You want him to learn about boxing out. You want him to, to not talk to the referees on every foul and to just be in there and understand his role and to give me a low post move or two so that you can look for him on the block and he can get some action and then eventually maybe command a double team where you can pass it out and he can have an open to an open three. So these are the things that you want to see with your young players. These are what you want to see. And then you sprinkle down with some veterans and then you sprinkle and try to get better and better through the draft. And that's what you want to see. So a game like today gives you hope because this is a very good Miami team. Understand that they're struggling a little bit. Lost to uh, Brooklyn uh, on Friday. Come in today and lose another tough one. But this is a good sign for the Knicks. This is the Drive with Larry Hardesty podcast on 98.7 ESPN. It's the Drive on 98.7 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Talking about a number of things with you. Knicks with their 124-121 win over the Miami Heat. Also the weekend in football. Baltimore losing to Tennessee yesterday in shocking style. How about the defense of the 49ers and what they did to the Minnesota Vikings yesterday? And in the first game today, <laughs> talk about a roller coaster ride. Uh, Kansas City rolling in the end, coming back with 51 points, 34 unanswered as they beat and eliminate the Houston Texans. Houston up 24 nothing in that contest. So we're talking to you about a lot of things here on the drive on 987 ESPN. Let me say this before I get back to the calls. Let me say this about two things that, that one thing concerns me and one thing that I'm happy with. And I have to admit that Julius Randall, I would say over the past maybe two, three weeks, has played so much better than he did earlier. And the key difference for me is his turnovers are down significantly. 
part of that is because Alfred Payton is back at the point guard. And so you're not asking Julius Randle to do things that he may not be comfortable doing, like handling the ball and setting up the offense, which he did earlier in the season. Look at today. He played 33 minutes and had just two turnovers. I mean, he's in previous games, he's played less than that and had more turnovers. So I like how he has responded. Yeah, he only hit one three. It was a big one when he hit it, but he's hit his free throws. He was five of six today, shot around 50%, 10 of 21, had 26 points in 33 minutes. And, you know, he's played better. And it's just, you can just see that it's, he's calmer. You can see that obviously he's more familiar with the players around him as he was earlier in the season, and he's just playing much better. And, you know, look, but he's, obviously he was a two-year deal and third year's an option, and you can make some moves and do some things. So obviously he's one of the guys that is not long-term, but he's one of the guys like Marcus Morris that you can say, okay, do you want to keep him around as a veteran presence? What do you want to do with him? With him playing like this, he certainly can help the team. And that's the biggest criticism I had from him of him was once again doubling into putting the ball down when there's double teams and doing things that he should not have to do. That's so give him credit. He's made some adjustments. The concern I have is for Robinson. And the reason I'm concerned about Robinson is over and look, he's a young player. And I think he's this last week probably was a really, really tough week for him because of the type of players that he faced. He faced the guys who were equal to his size and more physical. And it almost looks as though he kind of, it took him out of his game a little bit. This is just from watching. I don't know anything. Just saying from what I see. And so, you know, what now has to happen is for him to get, you know, back in the video room, work with some folks, look at the things that he saw, look at what people were doing against him that were successful, and now work on countering that. And when he sees that again, what he can do to turn things in his favor. Again today, the foul situation. He fouled out and played 15 minutes. He had three rebounds and two points. Now, we're not asking him to give us you know, he's not the low post, well, he's not the low post focus on this offense. We understand that. And we understand that he's been great, especially with Nilakina, who didn't play today, but he's been great with the lobs and, you know, on the alley oop and stuff like that. He's been fabulous with that. He's been really, really good. But for me, uh, they had three turnovers, um, you know, five personal fouls. Uh, you know, the, the block shots were down, only had one today, and he just seems to be back on that free throw struggle again, uh, the, the foul struggle again, where he's, before you know it, you blink, it's three fouls. And it just seems as though that he's not sure what he should be doing defensively. You know what I mean? I mean, you see him running over the He's not the guy that needs to be switching. I need him under the basket. Protect the basket. That's why I need you. And I know this guy switching. I know that, you know, sometimes he's defending guys that shoot the three and he's got to go out. I understand that. But on some situations, he just, he, he he's running out to, to defend three pointers and, and that's not his strength. And so 
offensively and defensively, he faced some guys last week. Okay. He faced, uh, uh, McGee in, 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 in with the Lakers and he faced, uh, you know, a, a, a couple of guys, he faced a, a couple of guys with, with the Clippers and he faced, you know, some guys that really, really took it to him a little bit. And I think it ruffled his confidence a bit. But what you do in those situations is, as I said earlier, you sit down and you get with your coaches and you go and you look at video and you say, okay, this is what I need to do to step up my game and get better. And to learn what's a good foul and what isn't a good foul. And these are things that have to be constantly reinforced with young players. You love his effort. You love the fact that he wants to go out there and block shots. You love the effort that he wants to be that guy. Okay, but this team, who is questionable defensively, okay, is a better team when he is on the floor. And so he's got to be on the floor. And for him to be on the floor, he's got to do a better job with his foul stuff. Okay, and we know that. It's nothing new. He went through that last year. And toward the end of the season, he got better at it. And he was starting to stay on the floor a little bit better. You saw him starting to understand, listen, there's some plays that's too late. You can't block the shot. Get out the way. Or you're out on the perimeter trying to guard somebody. Don't foul him. Because those fouls you need to save in case you're challenged at the hoop. And that's the concern I have about about Robinson, that he has, you know, taking a step back in the sense of his recognition of what is a good foul and what isn't a good foul. So those are the things that, that concern me about him. Uh, listen, it's a big win for the Knicks today though. Nevertheless, they scored 40 points in the fourth quarter, which is outstanding. And for the most part, they did a decent job of defending the three, but fortunately for them, Miami just doesn't just didn't shoot the three well today and doesn't play that well on the road. I mean, now they're 10 and 11. Uh, they're 27 and 12 on the season. And this is a Miami team that until this recent stretch where they'd lost five in a row had really been playing some, some strong dominant basketball. They really had been. They've been making some moves and, and, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler has been in the forefront of playing very, very well. And of course they got a couple of rookies on that team that's playing extremely well also. Uh, so. You know, you, you look at them and, and like I, like I was telling Spike, they're so well coached. You know, they, they normally don't beat themselves. Today was one of those days. I mean, they have 14 turnovers. I mean, you know, that's a Knicks stat. <laughs> and the Knicks only had seven. So it's, it's smart ball movement. It's understanding where guys need to be and it's learning to play together. And obviously it's having one of your guys back in Julius Randle where you've got a go-to guy. And, um, you know, he's like I said, he's played so much better recently. So you really, really like what he's been able to do. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. It's The Drive on 98.7 ESPN. Let's talk about the next. 1-800-919-3776. They win today, 124-121. We're also keeping an eye on the uh, Packers-Seattle game in the NFC Divisional Series where Green Bay's got a 14-3 lead, and they are driving looking for more. Let's head back to the phones. Rich is in Manhattan. Hey, Rich, you're next on the drive. You there, Rich? Larry, I'm here. I'm sorry, Larry. Larry, I'm okay. 
Pick up the phone, Rich. Don't talk Larry, to me. Larry, I'm here. Larry, there we go. How, I'm sorry, Larry. Larry, okay. I love the way. Well, first of all, what Alan said about Peyton. Yes. Listen, you got two guys, Rondo and Simmons. They can't shoot either. Yes, yeah, true. Okay? So, you know, he can develop. I love the way the Nick offense looks. They look, even when they lose, they look like they're scoring. They look like they're moving the ball well. They look totally different with this guy. They really do. I mean, they're going to lose big games, but, uh, you know, we got Milwaukee coming up, and that's going to be tough. But we got Phoenix and, and Philly at home, and Philly doesn't have him beat. So hopefully we can take two out of three, but even one out of three, I'll settle for. Uh, what else? Was, Larry, they're 7 and 11 with Miller. That's mm-hmm. 39%. And they were 4-18 and 18 with Fisdale. That's 18%. That's some jump in 20 games, boy. That's a big, big jump. So I think the Knicks are looking okay. Now, a couple other things, Larry. Are you a, a better? Do you bet? No, I don't. No. All right. I'm afraid. I, I don't bet either. <laughs> but if I was good, you know what a hunch bet is? Yes. On tomorrow night's football game, the college, I would bet my house on Clemson tomorrow on a hunch. And you know what my hunch is? What's your hunch? Last night, the Clemson men's basketball team went to Chapel Hill. Don't remind me. Where they've gone 59 <laughs> times in a row. 59 times to yeah. Chapel Hill, and they've lost 59 times in a row. Yep. Now, you don't think those people in South Carolina are betting, are betting and betting on Clemson tomorrow after what they saw the Clemson basketball team do in North Carolina? Oh, there's no question. They were betting oh, on them man. before, but Larry, now they put some more money down, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you. Larry, one last thing. Yeah. Is this the year... This is the year that Rutgers, Seton Hall, and St. John's, all three make the big dance. What do you think? You know what, Richard? Thanks for the phone call. Thanks. Um, it, it's possible. They're all playing very well. St. John's continues to amaze me. What uh, what their new coach Anderson is doing there is just it's, it's phenomenal. It, it's really, really impressive. And as they lock in more and more with their own conference schedule, then you really get to see uh, you know, as they get deeper inside their conference schedule, how well they play? They're playing extremely well. They really are. He's done a nice job. Uh, Seton Hall is doing, building on what they did last year. And Rutgers is playing well this year. They really are. So, you know, you have a point. They, they might be, maybe, maybe, depends on, you know, how, how they do during the season. And of course, how the, uh, how the postseason goes and their divisional and their, uh, you know, their, their, their matchups, if they are able to, uh, you know, win. Now, I know, I don't think Rutgers is winning in their division, but you know, you, you just never know how things roll. But, um, I would, I would be more, no disrespect to Rutgers, but I would be a little more confident in either Seton Hall and St. John's coming out of, uh, their, their league than I am with Rutgers, just to be honest. Raphael's in the Bronx. Raphael, you're next on the drive. Yeah, I'm right here, sir. Uh, Larry, you're doing a great job, by the way. Um, I was at a New York game tonight. The first time I went to a Knicks game, it was a beautiful event. It was great. And that team played their heart out. And I got to tell you, I'm a 43-year-old man. Mm-hmm. I watched the 80s Knicks. I know what it is to watch the Starks and the Buin and watch the Oakley and the Xavier's. I know what it is. I felt that energy tonight. I don't care what anybody says. That Knicks team with Mike Miller, he's a great coach. And New York could do something with that man and that team put their heart out tonight i gotta tell you you know Raphael, thanks for the phone call glad you had glad you caught up with the knicks on the night they won at the garden and listen they have fought hard on a couple of times during the season 
But let's face it, there is a little difference. And I think Alan talked about it. It's, it's some subtle adjustments that um, Miller's made from his philosophy on um, on offense, and you can see it. And plus, here's the thing. This is a Nick team, and Alan pointed it out perfectly. You look at their offense. When they post up folks, R.J. Barrett can post up. Obviously, Randall and Morris can post up. Uh, they're not the great three-point shooting teams that you have. They don't have the three-point shooting guys consistently that a lot of other teams have. But what they do is they punish you in the paint. And if they can get Mitchell Robinson back where he's doing his lobs and the high screen and roll, and you see him just pick and roll to the basket for the easy dunks and things like that, you know that will make their offense even easier to deal with. The, this is what you like about the way their offense is now. It's easy. It's easier. It's, it's, they're not, they're just coming down. And that's why sometimes when you look at uh, Bullock and you see him just rush up to three, you're like, no, I understand you got to take them, but look at what we've been doing. That's successful. Okay. Just keep feeding the pain until they stop it. If they double team, then listen, be ready to shoot. Just, just be ready to, to load up and fire. But just to come down sometimes and just take that three, I know he's got a, look, I know you want a guy that doesn't have conscience to shoot the three. You want a cold-blooded guy. Just hit, just hit the three. Bang. That's what you want. But sometimes I think you got to feel it a little bit. You feel that the offense is working with, with what that's going in the punt, in the pain and doing some stuff like that. You know, that's what you like. That's, that you want to keep doing that. Of course you have to shoot the three because that keeps the integrity in the paint. But listen, if they start double teaming the paint, you're going to have open threes anyway. So, you know, why, why push it when you can have it easy. It's so much easier to let your your big guys just dominate in the paint the way they did, like they did today, like they've done when they've been able to win, because you just don't have the three-point shooters on this team. You just don't. I mean, you know, Damian Dotson's okay. You know, he's over, was over two today, one of seven. You know, Bullock's okay. He was four of 12 from three today. You know, so, you know, you, you just don't have them. What you always – Play to your strengths, okay? And what you do well is points in the paint, crash the boards, get the offensive rebounds when you miss, and what you need to do is do a better job getting back on defense. And eventually, I don't know when it will be, probably not with this crew, but one or two folks do a decent job at at least trying to defend the three. I think I think we're lost. I think we could just sit here every night and say, oh, they just don't defend the three. They just don't defend the three, you know. And I'm not trying to kill them on the night they win, but it's just, it's, let's just face it. They just do not do a decent job of defending the three. And it's it's. I think when you look at it, one of the reasons they don't do a good job is when the, when the pick is set, and we've talked about this a lot, and I still haven't seen a lot of adjustment with it, they go under the screen. You can't go under the screen. <laughs> You can't go under. You got to try to fight your way through the top or at least, you know, have the defender slide over or move over or do something. There's got to be a counter way that you can not just always go under the screen because I guarantee you by the time you come around that screen, I mean, you know, the the, the ball is released. And in Miami today, 14 of 35, 40%, they are, they are a much better three-point shooting team than that. And 40% is not bad, but for them, they are much better than that. So listen, give the Knicks credit. They caught Miami on a day where Miami did not play well, did not shoot the three well, 
and struggled with turnovers. It's a good day. It was a good day. This is The Drive with Larry Hardesty. Made, made a big impact, particularly, I mean, through the game, but in the first half, really gave us a big lift and, and played with some, he played with a, a force about him getting downhill, and he was aggressive, he was versatile, he did a lot of different things. Uh, we saw his aggression defensively as well. Um, played very well. Coach Mike Miller on Kevin Knox tonight, who did play well. You're listening to The Drive on 98.7 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. And as Trey mentioned, he is, he, and Alan mentioned it too. And a lot of us have talked about him over the season because you, you look at him and you saw what he was last season. And you saw that the offense came so easy for him. He was a jump shooter, but he was, he was hitting his jumpers. And yeah, you saw that he was having trouble defensively, but you're like, okay, he'll, he'll get better at that. He'll work hard and he'll get better at his defense. That's not happened. If anything, he's regressed defensively and now he's not hitting a shot consistently except for today. And then, you know, you, you figure out, I mean, today, what, 17 points in 20 minutes, six of eight from the field, three or four from the line, two or four from three point range. He, he, you know, he shot well, shot well, 17 in 20 minutes is good. I'll take that. But you would love for the defense to be there because, you know, if he's not hitting a shot, then if he doesn't play defense, he's not hitting a shot. I have no reason to, I got, why am I playing him? If he's not hitting his, if he's giving me no offense, I got no reason to play him. None. None. At least if he was giving me effort defensively and he's giving me a bucket or two, I can hang with him a little longer and maybe he gets his offense going, you know, but you know, young player, you, you have to draw the line. You want, you want him to understand that you have to earn your minutes, but you also have to make sure that you teach him and get him better. And that's the next step of that's the next challenge of this, uh, Nick team. They have to do a better job at, at, at you know, showing, making sure their young players get better. Coach Miller, how badly did you need this victory tonight? It's it's a great feeling. I just told the guys, I'm so happy for them, so proud of them for hanging in there and battling back. And and the phrase, you know, we we bent a couple times but didn't break. Um, got great great efforts all the way down the lineup tonight. Um, huge plays down the stretch. Um, you know, I could go on about about every guy, but I'm very very happy uh, for for our group. And, and it's it's a big win for us. Now, you gave up 121 points, so I know this is a weird question, but how was your defense tonight? Overall, our defense was better. You know, the first three possessions, we didn't think it was what we'd been talking about, and then we regrouped, and then it was pretty good for a stretch. There were That's what I'm kind of talking about. We bent a couple times but didn't break. There were a few segments that were tough. They are difficult to guard, as you know. I mean, they, they lead the league in fouls drawn. They are second in the league in three-point shooting, and they are a high-level execution team. So they, they really put a lot of stress on your defense. And so I was pleased the way we were able to hang in there and, and work our way through the tough times. One of the good things the Knicks did tonight was hit their free throws. We'll hear what Coach Miller has to say about that. But first, let's hear from George in Brooklyn. George, you're next on the drive. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. I'm just making a comment based on a longtime Knicks fan. One of the things I saw regarding Michael Jordan over the years, particularly when um, the Knicks were playing them, there was one particular play that comes to mind where Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen 
really mugged Charles Smith on two separate occasions under the basket, and he never got the call, okay? The point I'm making here is, from my point of view, Michael Jordan got a buy during the 90s on several issues and on several calls. Now, we should have won that game, but we didn't. The rest was right there, and we didn't get the call. Last but not least, there was a picture taken Barcelona, Spain with USA All-Stars. One comment was made by Larry Bird, and he said, you breathe on Michael Jordan, and the ref goes off. And that typifies my point. George, there's been, um, and thanks for the phone call, there have been stars in every era of the NBA who have got the benefit of calls. Uh, Great players normally do. Larry Bird is correct about Michael Jordan, but you could say the same about Larry Bird. (laughs) You found Larry Bird a little bit. You just looked at him, and he got some calls as well. Superstars have been known to be able to get foul calls. Sometimes they have pet moves that may include uh, a little walk. It's not called. Uh, There's been a number of situations, so you are correct. But also keep in mind about this. The 80s and 90s, it was a far more physical game especially in the postseason than it is now. And so, yes, were there was there physical play? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the Knicks were as physical as a lot of teams in the NBA during that time. And they got away with a lot of physical play too. And that's the 90s. We could talk about the Detroit Pistons and the bad boys of the 80s and the physical play that they got away with. So, yes, did Michael Jordan get away with some play? Listen, Michael Jordan pushed off in the, in the, on that great shot, uh, that beat where he defeated Utah in what turned out to be his last game the first time around <laughs> with the Bulls. Okay. Yeah. He did. No question. All right. But, um, you know, once again, in, in late in games, the refs are not going to bail you out. They just did not and they don't do it today either. The physical nature of the game, especially in the playoffs, is what it is. And that's why it was incumbent upon the Knicks in close games to make sure that they finished strong because they knew they weren't going to get the calls. So you have to go up and make sure that you finish strong and compete and attack the basket. And too often, they just didn't attack the basket. And the thing that you have to realize, though, is when you look at those Knicks teams, if they had one or two more offensive players to go along with Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley and the crew, they would have been champions. They did a lot with what they had. I mean, back then we were lamenting, man, if, if only, if only, uh, Bernard King could have played with Patrick Ewing. How great would that have been? How great would that have been? It would have been, Phenomenal. Let's wrap up our Nick talk with uh, Coach Mike Miller talking about the team's improved free throw shooting. Well, I think, you know, guys are, have been working on it, obviously, all through the offseason, all through during the season, and, and we're, we're trending the right way with that. Guys are, are stepping up to the line with confidence, and they are making free throws. And, you know, we're, we're, we shoot a lot of free throws. We The guys, that's a, a big part of their routines. So it's good, good to see those go in, particularly, you know, a day like this. You need every one of them. And, Nick fans, you know that there have been a number of games 
that this team, over the season, that this team lost because they couldn't shoot free throws. Today, they finally won a game because they were able to shoot free throws. Yes, I know R.J. Barrett missed a couple of them late, but the best part about this was he didn't miss both in those occasions. He missed one of two each time. And that was the first, those were the first two free throws he missed all day. So he'll take that experience and he'll remember the feeling and he'll go back and he'll practice and try to, you know, mentally duplicate the scenario and what he needs to do to step up there calmly and sink those free throws the next time he's in a game winning situation where you need to, to win the game. This is the Drive with Larry Hardesty podcast on 98.7 ESPN. You know, Trey, really, to be fair to everyone on the roster, I've got an outsider's perspective still. And really, starting this morning when I can dive in with an insider's perspective of getting all the necessary information and knowing everything that was involved that led into the games. So what you saw in the field, you had the total information, the total package you can really evaluate with. I don't want to single out any one player and make any kind of predictions or assessment of them publicly. Uh, I want to take my time, make sure I get the roster right with everybody involved. Oh, it's the drive on 987 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. I'll say this for him. He's consistent. That's Joe Judge. He was on Golik and Wingo. And they asked him from what you've seen, what are your first impressions of Daniel Jones? And you heard what he said. Same thing he said at the press conference on Thursday. Same thing. Same thing. Once again, Daniel Jones is the Giants' franchise quarterback. You were in the meetings. You faced them twice. You faced them in preseason, and you faced them during the season. Okay? We're not asking you for a scouting report. The question was not, uh, Coach Judge, give me a scouting report on Daniel Jones. That wasn't the question. The question was your impressions. And once again, very simply, you know what? Young player did some nice things. I have to look a little bit more when I get involved. I'll see a little bit more, but you know, I'm encouraged. Nobody asked you to say, you know what? I don't like him. We're going to trade him. <laughs> I didn't have, they didn't ask for a detailed scouting report. You could give your impressions. I don't want to single out one player. You didn't single out player. You're answering a question. We didn't say pick a player and tell me about him. We asked you about Daniel Jones. Very simply, can you just simply answer the question? Now, yeah, you could say, well, I just because he didn't answer the way you want to answer it doesn't mean he's right. As a fan, if I, as a Nick fan, if there's a new head coach coming in, okay, at the beginning of the season, if if the Knicks don't renew Mike Miller and they bring a new head coach, you don't think you don't want to know what he thinks of R.J. Barrett? As a new head coach. I know you weren't here last year. I didn't ask if you were here. Give me your thoughts about R.J. Barrett. What do you see? <laughs> it's very simple. He's a great young player. Got a lot of time. Looking forward to working with him. <laughs> Done. Done. This, this, well, I don't want to single him out. I don't want to do this. I don't want to. Uh, ah. <sighs> More Joe Judge with Golik and Wingo. Very simply, what do you see as the one thing you have to do to turn this team around? I mean, look, the first thing I have to do is just take it day by day. I mean, my first order of business is 
you know, sitting down collectively and, and going through our roster and making the right evaluations on who we have so we can make the right path going forward through free agency and the draft, as well as knowing our own players well enough to make sure we put them in the best positions. Okay. Sorry, guys. You had no luck, just like the beat writers had no luck <laughs> at the press conference. Once again, I will say this. He's consistent. He's consistent. And, you know, I know they asked him about uh, where were you in filling your staff, and I know he was talking about how he wanted to get, you know, the best players, the best guys, and he was looking for some folks to make sure that that happened. Well, it's done. Yep. You now have a new defensive coordinator, Giant fans. And I know a lot of you were very happy because I took a lot of calls from you who were done with James Betcher uh, last season of the 25th ranked defense in the National Football League. And so you now have a new defensive coordinator. He is Patrick Graham, who uh, was the defensive coordinator with the Miami Dolphins. And now he is uh, leaving and he is coming here to uh, coach with Joe Judge. Uh, they, of course, were on the uh, – staff together up in New England. He was, as a matter of fact, the Giants defensive line coach from 2016 to 2017. So, um, you know, it's interesting. They, they the reports say that, that, uh, Graham was close with Dolphins head coach Brian Flores leaving after just one year. Dolphins finished 30th in total defense with a bare bones roster. And so you could say that, um, you know, the Giants situation is similar. In the sense that they have a bunch of young players, especially in the secondary. Bunch of young guys. And so the question becomes, what can, can, can a Graham come up with a scheme that is a little better to try and get the most out of the young secondary, who at least now has a year experience as Marshawn Lynch has gotten a touchdown to move the game closer. It is now 21-10 Green Bay and Seattle kicking off. 9.44 left in the third. So, you know, that's going to be the question. Now, you know, on the surface, you're like, well, Dolphins finished 30th, Giants 25th. But it's scheme. And I would say in, in talking to and, and, and reading and listening and finding out what folks think about the Giants and their young their young team, the, the big thing here is going to be how you coach these guys up so that their communication is on the same page. And, you know, we hear that a lot in the National Football League. Well, we, you know, we, we didn't communicate. We didn't communicate. We didn't communicate. It's like communication and execution. Those are the two things that you hear, you know, over and over and over again in the National Football League. But clearly – in the Giants' case, in that secondary, they didn't communicate because they continued to give up big plays all season long. They had, I think off the top of my head, over 10 plays of 40 yards or more that they gave up. And listen, you can't win when your defense gives up over 10 plays of 40 yards or more. So that's the first thing that Graham has got to do, eliminate the big play. Part of that is getting them off the field on third down. And so these are elementary things. These are coach speak things, clearly. These are fundamental things, absolutely. But these are the things that the Giants have to do if they want to improve. Because offensively, they'll be okay. If, if, if they could find a way to lock down their defense and make it top 15 
Okay, not even top 10, top 15, they would win, I'd say, four or five more games than they won last year. Okay, easily. And, of course, you want to be better than that. But I'm saying if they move up 10 spots with the offense they have, with Daniel Jones in his second year, having seen some things and understanding what he needs to do, you know, adjustments to your offensive line, which I expect that Dave Gettleman and Judge will make, of uh, a full season of a healthy Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram back, hopefully for a full season, uh, Sterling Shepard back, hopefully for a full season, okay? And the young players that you found that, that really performed well, when given the opportunity to play for the injured players that you had. Okay, this team will be, this offensively, they'll be able to score points. So it's really going to be incumbent on what they do with the defense. Now, the next question is going to be clearly for Joe Judge is who's going to be the offensive coordinator and who's going to be the quarterback's coach? Because you could argue that those two are the, are the most important hires on this team. Who are you putting in charge of developing or continue to develop Daniel Jones? Who's going to work with him on this ball security? Who's going to work with him on, you know, getting better, taking that next step? He's already accurate. Listen, that's something that he's been very good at. His accuracy is excellent. But now it's a matter of, growing and feeling the pocket and being able not to hang in there and take shots and knowing when to throw the ball away, you know, things that you want to see graduate as you move into your second year. And there's still going to be growing pains next year. You understand that. But how do you minimize some of those growing pains from your rookie quarterback? Well, that's what you want to see when you bring in that next offensive coordinator, that next quarterback coach who you're entrusting your young quarterback with. Because ultimately, that that's what is the most important thing for Joe Judge on this Giants team. Packers with another touchdown. A- Rodgers to Abrams. Packers now uh, 27-10, extra point pending. So that's going to be um, a fascinating situation here. And I can't wait to see who that person is going to be. And I'm sure that, you know, I will say this about Judge. He moved quickly. He moved quickly in getting his defensive coordinator. He knew who he wanted. He was able to get the permission, and he got that done. Now, who is he searching for for the offensive coordinator's position, and will he be able to lock that up as quickly as he was able to, or in short order, as he was able to get his defensive coordinator? Thanks for listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty Podcast. Subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts.